Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. Um, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I also have an Instagram. Um, it's I Love That Movie Podcast. And then we also have a Facebook group. Uh, it's called I Love That Movie as well. <laughs> so um, if you, it's the group is closed, but if you send me a request, I'll add you. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, judgment-free. My only rule in there is keep it positive. Uh, I don't have any big announcements right now. I do have a Teespring, so you can find t-shirts. Um, I'll put a link in the description, but that's my only plug today. So I'm going to move on and announce my guest. I've got Tim on the podcast. Say hi. Hi. Hey. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hello, Tim. Well, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience? All right. Well, uh, my name is Tim, and I guess you started with Twitter, so I'll start with Twitter. Uh, you can find me at TimothyPG13 on Twitter, and I am the co-host of several several podcasts for the Thought Bubble Audio Network, uh, including uh, Beer with Geeks, where we talk about a lot of geeky stuff. We do Supergirl TV Talk and Tolkien TV Talk. And I have a podcast called Read Up, which is about books, which is actually pr premiering soon. It's not even out yet. And then, uh, and I do a, a podcast called Academy Rewind, in which uh, my co-host and I are backlogging the Academy Award Best Picture nominees and seeing if they add up and stuff. So, love movies and I love podcasting, and I am jazzed to be here. I'm yeah, I'm so jazzed. Well, thank you so much for making time to come on the podcast. That is truly inspiring. <laughs> I, I'm like, sometimes I struggle to record episodes for this show. So I can't imagine everything that you're juggling. That's so awesome. It's once you get into like a weird groove, then then you're okay. But it also helps to have one. It helps to have one co host. And we're like Mondays. That's our day. You know, gotcha. for, for some of them, it's actually I have multiple co hosts. But you know, at least for, you know, Mondays is kind of like, the podcasting day so that's it you know at least it's scheduled that way so i'm not like oh i don't know it's thursday i really should be should be saying something in front of a microphone right now because <laughs> i haven't yet so makes it a little easier that's awesome well thank you so much for coming on this show i really do appreciate it i'm super excited uh to talk about the movie that we're going to talk about today but I'll, I'll let you introduce it okay we are going to talk about one of my favorite we're going to talk about one of my favorite movies because I love that movie. Ding. Name a podcast. Um, <laughs> we're talking about Ridley Scott's Prometheus today. 20th yes. Century Fox came out in 2012, which I feel like it just came out just like two years ago. But it's already ugh, it's already inching along closer to that 10 year mark than not. 
It's so anyway, weird. Yeah. I know. It's so weird. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's got Michael Fassbender. It's got Numi Rapace. It's got Logan Marshall Green and Charlize Theron and Idris Elba and Sean Harris and Kate Dickey and Benedict Wong and Rafe Spall, Emin Elliott and Guy Pierce. So it's like a stacked cast. Like It really you would, is. It's You would see these people like doing Shakespeare, but instead they're on a spaceship talking about aliens and it's awesome. And we love Ridley Scott on this podcast. You know, we've done alien an alien episode. We did Blade Runner. Um, you know, so we're big fans. So it's pretty exciting to talk about this movie, which I feel like, you know, it got some mixed reception when it came out. Um, mm-hmm. And I still think feel like people are a little divided on it today. But this is the I Love That Movie podcast. So, you know, we both love this movie. So we're going to talk about all the highlights of it. Um, I'm assuming you saw this in theaters seven years ago Ugh, that hurts. <laughs> I know, it really it hurts. hurts it hurts I, I saw it seven i saw it seven years ago in theaters i saw it with my brother i went i went to go i went to go visit him and you're we like hey let's go see this let's go see this movie because i i more than he am a huge uh alien fan i okay aliens and alien three and four are fine i know that's weird sacrilege that i don't like aliens as much no, I'm actually right there with you. Really? I mean, I really I really like Aliens. I'm not going to downplay that I don't like it, but mm. I I would say I'm with you in that I feel that Alien is a it's in a my movie. opinion better movie. Yep. Um and it's a it's a serious film. It's a different genre and we've we even talked about that in our episode. It it's my favorite. So so yeah, I feel like you're of one of two minds in the sense that like you know, some people really liked Alien, and then some people really liked Aliens. And if you really liked Aliens, you might not like Prometheus. <laughs> and I think that's what it comes down to, because, like, like I like Alien more than the rest, but Alien is a sci-fi horror, and Aliens is an action film, and then mm-hmm. the rest of them kind of follow in that stead, and then, you know, like, Alien versus Predator and, like, all that kind of stuff. And so... Right. You know, Prometheus brings it back, but actually, before we even talk about the film, I'll, I'll talk about seeing the film because I have a story about it, and maybe it's linked as to why it's one of my favorites. So, so I go to visit my brother. We're going to see this movie. My brother uh, was a canine narcotics officer, and he had mm-hmm. just and he had just started. He had just started, and he, he had just gotten the dog, and they had to train. Like you have to train with the dog, and the dog. Um, gets food for finding the drugs that they keep to train that's kind of how their reward so even to get like their lunch and dinner whatever else they have to find the drugs to get the food and so before we go see the movie my brother hands me this tiny little bag this tiny little plastic bag uh and he says hey can you put this in your sock while we watch the movie it has to heat up so the dog can find it after we watch the movie and i go what yeah like what is it he's like it's heroin could you put it in your sock what <laughs> yeah and so he's got to find it so so and i mean it's my older brother so of course there's like a you didn't have to do it this way you chose to do it this way right you chose to pick on your adult little brother and so <laughs> i watched the entirety of prometheus with a penny-sized bag of heroin between my toes <laughs> sounds very stressful it was so stressful. I mean, like, <laughs> he, he was a police officer. It's not like I would have been arrested. Like, you know, it's like that's yeah. that was his job. But the whole time, yeah, I'll it's I have that. That's the weirdest. Might be <laughs> that's the weirdest definitely the movie. most interesting story I've heard <laughs> on the podcast, I think, I so far. Told you it was strange. Yeah, I warned you ahead of time. <laughs> you did. You did. Yeah. Well, I saw this movie. I'm trying to remember if I saw this with my friends. I feel like. 
I might have seen. Oh, I think we. I might have not seen it with them, but then we all saw Alien Covenant together after this. But um, yeah, I saw it and I kind of walked away really liking it. But then I saw some of the reactions online and you know asking about questions unanswered, all these things that I didn't feel when I saw it, and I did feel like I had to see it more than once to really take everything in. But you know, there's a lot of movies like that. So mm-hmm. um, it happened that all my friends that liked alien and we're on that episode with me um they they really liked this movie too so i had a lot of people to kind of talk to about it so um i've kind of existed in a bubble of other supportive people that also love it so like i've said before because i'm such a big fan of alien and blade runner i mean i feel like if you're a fan of those two movies this has a little bit of both those things in it and so yeah i i had a really good experience seeing it for the first time i don't have an interesting story like you do though (laughs) That's okay. I I mean, if there's anybody else that watched, you know, Prometheus with a bag of heroin in their sock, right in, you know. But, yeah. You know, I'm sure I might be the only one in human history to have done that. So <laughs> it's well, possible. It's possible. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I not being a tremendous fan of you know, a, the the Alien franchise after Alien. Like I like them and they're good and like I'll. I'll even like read some of the books and you know like whatever else but I really love the first movie and I really love Ridley Scott and so mm-hmm. going diving back into kind of his vision of the world because James Cameron kind of took oh, aliens sure. in a completely separate direction and so yeah. I just kind of I prefer the I prefer philosophical science fiction Same, to yeah. yeah to you know Blade Runner is a great example of that too it's you know it's philosophical science fiction it's not just action science it's like a lot of monologues and looking at photos <laughs> god is thinking. that is it god that is Blade Runner in a nutshell isn't it <laughs> and gonna, I love it I'm going to smoke this cigarette and I'm going to look at this photograph and we happen <laughs> to be in the future that's Blade Runner in a nutshell pretty much yeah so, so I I love the big questions that this movie asks. You know, Same. the you know, like what is the meaning of existence, and what if we can meet our maker, and this kind of triangle of makers that's happening. You know, because like mm-hmm. the humans like go to meet the engineers; they want to meet their makers, but they bring their own engineered being with them, who also right. wants to meet the makers for different reasons, and you know, like. They're all playing. Everybody's playing this game, but it turns out that everyone is hostile, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. David is hostile towards the to towards the human scientists, and the the engineers are hostile towards the humans, and so humans are kind of just trapped in the middle of hostility totally. that we that we bring upon ourselves. So. Yeah, I I love all of that. You know, I mean, that's I think that's at the heart of why I like this because it's complex and it's interesting and it, it makes you think about some. I guess some kind of uncomfortable questions about our existence and how, you know, I think we think of things as like good and bad, you know, in the old, mm-hmm. in some of the aliens movies, it's like they're evil. Um, but this movie asks like, what, is that true? And if so, are we evil? And you know, if, if we're evil, is God evil? And is there a God? Yeah. It's like, I love all those questions. So this is like right up my alley. And on that note, I'm going to read the synopsis really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this I, I have mentioned before, this show is not spoiler free, so I highly recommend going and seeing it first and then coming back. But here is the synopsis. Uh, the discovery of a clue to mankind's origins on Earth leads a team of explorers to the darkest parts of the universe. Two brilliant young scientists lead the expedition. 
Shaw hopes that they will meet a race of benevolent godlike beings who will in some way verify her religious beliefs, while Holloway is out to debunk any spiritual notions. However, neither the scientists nor their shipmates are prepared for the unimaginable terrors that await them. Nice synopsis. Very good. Yeah, I like that one. That was pretty succinct. I think I like that that synopsis mentions that, you know, like she's she's searching for spiritual validation, but her boyfriend, fiance, husband, you know, is undefined relationship is is looking to kind of nix that. Mm -hmm. But I know Ridley Scott is at least a believer in God. I'm pretty sure. Because I was watching some of the special features and the, and when they were talking about like the design work and everything like that, and he was explicit and he was like, "We got to look at nature because there's no better designer than God." And I was like, ah, oh, "Okay, oh, that's interesting, Ridley Scott, that you like, just kind of like, that's a part of your films. You know, it's a mm-hmm. part of multi- a lot of his films. Yeah, uh, and so there's something within him that is like searching for that answer himself. Right." Yeah, and I think there's something, you know, um, one comment that I heard after watching this movie, uh, the way Numi Rapace, you know, portrays Shaw, she's so incredibly different from uh, Ripley. You know, Ripley is like this tall woman that is very, like, powerful and imposing, and Shaw has a really different strength to her, um, and a lot of it is rooted in her beliefs. And I think that that kind of goes against the grain of a lot of sci-fi movies. I think a lot of times the main character is a scientist that you know believes in just the cold hard facts and so i think it's interesting that i feel like a lot of this movie um she's expressing how her belief system and then just her resolve and just sheer desire to survive um you know is what makes her strong and i think that's kind of cool because again i just think it's a different kind of lead that we don't see a whole lot yeah you know that's right because even david even says to her you know, like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think you had it in you when she goes through the, you know, the med pod sequence and, you know, mm-hmm. she saves herself. And he's like, I, did, I honestly didn't think you had that kind of strength. Yeah. But I don't know if he would make that same statement if it was Ripley. Right. I think and I and I had a couple actually girlfriends say, like, oh, I liked Ripley better. And I'm like, you know, I don't like Ripley better. I think she was different. It's a really different character. And I think mm-hmm. it's important to have different types of leads and not always to have the same archetype. So I really like the different direction it went. And then, you know, it does create an element of danger throughout the movie because it she doesn't seem like this rough and tumble gal that can survive anything at all. So it's like, you know, she does continually surprise you, the audience. Audience and then, like you said, David, too. She does. She's a little um, in, in some ways, she's kind of a dichotomy because she's like like she's the only one that wears a flight suit. Right. Everybody else mm. has all these different types of clothes. And she's like, I'm in a flight suit. It's practical. I'm ready to go. And you would expect somebody with that kind of practicality to maybe be practical in their philosophical beliefs at the mm-hmm. same time. But she's not. So she's really she's really two sides and she kind of frames the movie that way too you know what you know it's not just it's not a black and this is not a black and white world it's very gray and so she kind of represents both of those sides in that like her practicality but her but her spiritual side yeah i think we're not used to seeing someone so focused and driven also be religious and philosophical you know it's true yeah it's 
Um, so I have got a couple quick facts I was going to throw out there. Yeah. You can react to them or throw in your facts. Um, so the first one I have that Ridley Scott named the movie Prometheus, seeing the name aptly fit the film's themes. It's the story of creation, the gods, and the man who stood against them. In Greek mythology, the titan Prometheus was an immortal servant of the gods. He stole and gave uh, to mankind the gift of Godfire, an immeasurable benefit that changed the human race for, for better or for worse. Uh, it, made, it made mankind dangerous to the gods. That's good. That's I. I, you know, they don't really play up the Prometheus story in this. It's kind of like mm -hmm. if you get the if you get the reference, good for you. But no one really talks about it. That's uh, true. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, but I do know that the Prometheus logo has Prometheus on the logo. Oh, okay. So the ship's logo has like um like a winged guy like coming to Earth. Like sorry, which is okay. which is which is pretty cool. I also know that the ship was supposed to be called the Magellan, and when they filmed the movie, it was called the Magellan. Uh, and then after he named the movie, he was like, "Oh no, we got to change the name of the ship too, because this is way better." Yeah, because Magellan would just imply that they're just explorers, and it's you know that's not what's happening. And then also Wayland's motives are not to explore, so it's kind of cool that he's putting you know, his cards on the table and it's like his, his, uh, his crew doesn't even see what they're headed for. <laughs> they God, never that... do with Wayland Corp. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> it's all right in front of them. And he, and they're still like, bloop, 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 bloop. What a cool name to the ship. I can't spell it. Bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. not going to look that up. I'm sure it means something good. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that what we do about everything though? <laughs> uh, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to look up what that's called. I'm I'm sure it's that for a reason. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so my next fact that I had was that designer H.R. Geiger, who worked on the original design of the Xenomorph in uh, from Alien 1979, uh, was brought in to assist in re, uh, reverse engineering the design of the aliens in this film. Uh, Geiger died of fall-related injuries in 2014, so this was his last movie related to the Alien franchise that he oh, worked okay. on. I did. I knew that they had him come to set and stuff. I did not know that he helped with the with the. Oh shoot! I forgot what they call it, the ultra design or the. I know the black one at the end they called the Deacon, but I'm not. But uh, which is it's super gross and I love it, but I didn't know that he helped, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean you can see his influence, but didn't in some of the other Alien movies they didn't really credit him. Uh, very much like they're clearly his designs pretty much but he's not involved probably that sounds about right <laughs> that's, that sounds about the way hollywood works i think that's correct right uh, <laughs> that's a shame because i part of i think the lure of the xenomorph is kind of what it looks like mm -hmm. you know, like it's a it's a very it's a very unusual almost like weirdly phallic you know shape and all of that yeah. stuff and i don't know it's very i it's part of the attraction of part of the i mean part of the attraction of science fiction is like how cool are the aliens you know how cool do they look and right yeah go ahead oh i was gonna say there's a lot of you know like birth death themes in these movies and so like you know the phallic nature of the xenomorph and then there's other sort of female parts i feel like as well in some of the designs so there's there's a lot of like birth and death and all that 
I said, oh, do you mean that uh, squid alien in uh, Prometheus? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in all the movies, there's some weird, you know, mother baby stuff going on mm-hmm. <laughs> just by nature of the alien herself. But yeah, yeah, that definitely in this movie, too. <laughs> so, yeah, his his uh, look, um, you know, his design is so interesting. And I feel like it's very, you know, disturbing and dark, but also, I don't know, just something psychological about it. Like I said, with all those, the way that things are designed. So, yeah, it's, it's nice that he came back for this last one. Mm-hmm. I know that, um, speaking of that, like that last... Um, Speaking of that that last xenomorph, the the alien, the deacon, that that was a. I know they did a lot of practical effects in this mm. film, and and like they kind of overlaid some CG over it. But that last that last shot of that alien was a puppet, which is oh, that's awesome. I know it's mind blowing. If you watch the, some of the special features, you can see them just like working it, and even like the mouth extending out is that's all just puppetry. Yeah, it's like when you see it up close, it almost always looks better if it's just a practical effect. Ugh, it always does. Yeah. E- even when you could tell it's a puppet, it still feels better because you yeah. know it's there. Mm-hmm. They're not having to um, respond to something that's not in the room <laughs> or you know, react to something that isn't physically there, like you mm-hmm. said. Uh, the last little tidbit I had was to prepare for his role as the android David, Michael Fassbender watched Blade Runner, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth, The Servant, and Lawrence of Arabia, which is you know mentioned by Peter Wayland um, in the film. Uh, Fassbender also studied Olympic diver Greg Luganis, drawing inspiration from Luganis' physicality. Huh. That's very cool. Good choices. I mean, that was, that's a solid movie marathon that he had lined up. <laughs> I definitely felt like... Uh, what's the character Rutger in uh, Blade Runner? The mm-hmm. Tears in the Rain guy I definitely yep. had those vibes when I saw David this time. I was thinking about that. Oh yeah, I've never really connected them together, but they do have similar vibes. Yeah, just their motives seem similar too. Being mm. angry at their creators, and I don't know, just like especially that last scene, that like look in his eye. I felt like when David wa- was watching Lawrence of Arabia, I was just thinking about that scene. I was like, ah, oh, I see where he, I see where he got that. So when I saw this little tidbit, I was like, oh, good, I was right. He did that, um, and I I think I can't remember if I picked up on the Lawrence of Arabia stuff the last time I saw this, but I definitely was a little more focused on it this time. Yeah, well, David even watches. Yeah, he watches it at the beginning of the film because when he's dying, he dyes his hair to look like Lawrence. Yeah, which is interesting because Charlize Theron, uh, you know, she plays Meredith Vickers. She's also blonde, so it's kind of like this weird thing of like, you know, was he trying to look like him because of that movie? Or did Waylon try to look like the guy from the movie and then David tries to look like him and so does Meredith? Like, it, I, I could not tell, like, because he even mentions the movie later, Waylon does. So it's hard mm-hmm. to know where that started, you know? Or does David or does David become blonde to look like one of Waylon's children? Like, what if, right, you know, yeah. like Vickers is like, she's blonde, so he, like, he is... A tr- like he is created by Waylon, so he is the child of Waylon. So he wants to wow. See, that's why I think that this movie needs more credit. Why, like, because there's something to talk about here. There's something to dice. There's stuff to dissect and to really think about. And I like that there aren't definite answers. I like films that like kind of give you this, you know, room to discuss character motivations. And the movie works 
without you analyzing it and it works even better when you think about it oh for sure i think you know there's I feel like there's two different types of movie viewers and there's some movie viewers that, you know, they really want the structure to be there, the answers to be given to them and for that to wrap up. Like I have a bunch of people in my life that like movies like that. And I get that. I mean, it's definitely a bigger crowd pleaser if everyone comes to the same conclusions. But, you know, personally, I like movies that are a little more open ended. I don't actually need all the answers. I mean, we don't get all the answers to the universe anyway. So I feel like it's only fitting that if you're going to explore a concept that big, you don't answer everything. Um, but, uh, you know, that that's just the kind of movie viewer I am. So I don't fault anybody for not liking it. But at the same time, it's it's usually something I look for and it, they tend to be the movies I like the most. That's a that's a I, it's really nice that you know, we don't have all the answers in life. So why would you like <laughs> why would you expect it in a film? But some people come to films expecting the answers because they don't have answers in life. So it's yeah, rewarding. it feels to get better. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that Toy Story is a better universe because <laughs> the answers are right there. The answers, except how they're alive. Besides that answer, don't worry about that. <laughs> we don't don't worry about that. But the rest of them, that's it's there. The answers are there. <laughs> well, I guess we've kind of talked about him a little bit already, but, uh, you know, like I said, we've covered Ridley Scott on the show a couple times because he's one of my favorite directors and because my guests choose him because he's a lot of people's favorite uh, director. So, um, like, is this your favorite of his films or, or what's your favorite? Uh, Gladiator is my favorite of his films. Ah. Yep. Gladiator, then Alien, then Prometheus, I think. Um, okay, okay. I do like Gladiator a lot. Oh, yeah. I love Gladiator. Oh, man. Yeah. I could talk about that movie without even rewatching it. You know, that's <laughs> like... Yeah. But, yeah, I... Ridley Scott, actually, for some... Sometimes is... Well, not sometimes, but he, he is a little hit and miss for me. I either, sure. like... I'm, like, really on board for it, or it's a total pass. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I feel kind of the same way, yeah. Yeah, like, like I, I'm very strange in that I do not like Blade Runner very much. Just, <laughs> you know, some some people some people really love it. I just have never I've never been able to get on on board with it. Mm-hmm. I loved 2049, but I didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I I couldn't get on I couldn't get on board with with this one. I'm not sure I'm not sure why. I keep giving it <laughs> chances, and I keep going. Nope, I it, it looks great, but that's all I've got. I hear that a lot. I mean, the honest truth is I'm not one of those people that says, well, you got to watch every single version of it. You have to watch it eight more times. Like if you didn't like it the first couple of times, I think you're safe to say it wasn't for you. Um, <laughs> it, it is. It probably is my favorite Ridley Scott film, but I, it definitely wasn't my favorite on the first watch. So, I, you know, it was a complicated journey to get there, but it is my favorite. But I, I totally see that. And I think, like I said, this movie kind of echoes that a little bit in terms of like not everybody is on board with it, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's not can't be for everybody. What is it about Prometheus? Do you think that like like kind of like sucked you in initially when you started watch when you watched it? You uh, know, probably David. <laughs> yeah, mainly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think it, I for me it was even just the opening shots of the alien planet and then the engineer like right away i was like i don't know what is happening but i love this movie yeah no the opening scene is great yeah just it's they look like the engineers look like you know michelangelo's david which adds Mm -hmm. almost like another layer to 
it adds almost like a weird another layer to David's name in the first place. Right. You know, no, he, yeah. You know, if the engineer if the engineers look like, you know, renaissance statues and then but they've created humans that the go on to create renaissance statues that then and then robots that are named after those renaissance statues it's just like just a big old loop it just keeps going and going and going yeah no i think that's a really cool part of this movie having that sort of greek mythology angle um you don't always i mean you do see it in a lot of sci-fi but i feel like this one took that further a little bit in any way in a movie um and so i i really like that about it uh, i think like i said i think david pulled me in because it's pretty clear from watching this these newer movies that uh really scott did i think he cares more about robots than he does aliens <laughs> it always feels like he cares more about robots than anyone um and maybe in his he films, is a robot <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> that's my mind being blown um but yeah no i think uh i think i do too weirdly so i i feel like i liked the direction this one went in with that a little bit more and i just thought that the way that michael fassbender played david was just so good he's like this you know those things we mentioned earlier a mix of you know blade runner but then also lords of arabia i got a lot of hal vibes from him I felt like he was like if Hal were real from two thousand one. Oh, like Hal! If he were I thought a you said Hell vibes, and I oh, was like, no. I, don't, I don't know what those are. Yeah, <laughs> accent creeping in there. No, that yeah, was, Hal. yeah, Hal. Oh, tons of Hal vibes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm afraid I can't do that. Mm-mm. Oh, so Super even creepy. like when he's like washing Waylon's feet, it's even like he's got this. This is like weird. I can't even like. There's a weird sensuality to David. Like, yeah. And like in the like he's like reserved like he he it's almost like he he's like he wants to go through puberty but can't because he's a robot. <laughs> so he's just like trying to act like I don't know. Like I don't know. He's like a weird teenager that doesn't know how, what to do with his body. Well, and it's like creepy too because it's I don't know. He's waiting on him hand and foot and does everything he says, but at the same time, you can tell he wants to like kill him. And also, he's washing his feet like he's Jesus. I don't know. The the whole thing was just there's something unnerving about it. And yeah, Michael, I feel like or Michael Fassbender, the way he plays David, it feels like David's like on the verge of just having a freak out <laughs> the whole movie. Yep. And so I mean, he never really does. And but you can feel like his rage and emotions just building, and it's just. It's unnerving. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think that's why I think, you know, like, because, you know, they made Alien, Ridley Scott made Alien Covenant, which is really just a Prometheus sequel disguised mm-hmm. as an alien movie because they called it Alien, um, which was fine by me because I want to know more, you know. And right. S- and like, I want the I want them to continue to make more and more because I want to know the story of David because he's so interesting. Yeah, you know, when we were watching it, um, my husband was saying, you know, you you think the movie's about Shaw, but really it's about David. Mm. And I think, yeah, the whole trilogy is going to end up being about him. It's like we think it's about the people or about the aliens, but I feel like, it, yeah, it's just about this robot. Um, and we're watching his story arc, uh, this film and into Alien Covenant. I think Alien Covenant really sealed it for me. I'm like, oh, this is about him. <laughs> like, everyone else is secondary. And I feel like Ridley Scott really tried to include more gore and alien action in Alien Covenant. And I don't know if that backfired or not. I feel like 
that one got even more mixed reviews because people thought, oh, we're going to get more aliens like we wanted. We want it to be like aliens. Um, but I don't think Ridley Scott ever wanted to do that. And so it seemed like he kind of, I don't know, gave in on that sequel to this one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it really served the story if it worked or not. Um, but I, I'll still watch the next one. And I still enjoyed parts of that one, too. It, me too, and I agree. If Rid, I when, in watching the special features, I Ridley Scott said that he's uh, he's very uninterested in repeating himself. Like mm-hmm. e- even if he go like if he tells another period piece or anything something along those lines, he doesn't want to do the same exact thing over again because he already did it. Right. And so, and I think that was maybe his resistance to. A, a, um, alien Covenant making it a true true alien movie because he's like, I already made that movie. Made it 30 right. years ago. More mm-hmm. than that now. So I want to do something different. But, you know, you got to sometimes appease the studio, right? You For know. sure. So so who knows? Is he? Are they making another one? Do you know? He wants to make like a bunch of them, but like how old is he? <laughs> like how many of these can he make, you think? That's a great question. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> He's like, I think he's like in his 70s or, I mean, he's up there. Ridley Scott age. He's 81. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) one of my friends, even like their commentary on the the Alien Covenant, uh, they didn't care for it. And they were like, I feel like he's just, you know, working through all his issues. Like, you know, he's coming towards that. He's, He's older now and he's thinking about like the end and like that's what these movies are kind of about. I'm like... I mean, I could see that, but I'm I'm interested. That actually makes me more interested. But yeah, I don't I don't know. He plans on making at least another one. According to IMDb, he has ten movies in development right now. <laughs> well, has... IMDb's not always reliable, but yeah, he's, I know I've heard that he has big plans. And three of those movies are in production. That's like so the, crazy. Like currently, he's making three movies at the same time. But he also seems very like he's been doing it so long that it's like a well-oiled machine Mm -hmm. like he knows how to make a movie and he knows how to make it quickly and he prepares so well that by the time that it shows like it's time for production to film it everything goes always goes smoothly Mm, okay Cold and methodical like his films. I'm kidding. People always say. (laughs) Perhaps. There's a grain of truth to it, yeah. Perhaps. Part of the special features Charlize Theron was saying that he treats his actors so well, but he's even thoughtful in a way that, like, when she's watching her um, Waylon get strangled on the monitor, she said most directors would be like, okay, imagine your father's getting strangled. Act. This is what you get paid for. But Ridley pumped in previs, like, animated previs video of what they were going to shoot so she could react, like, literally act to footage oh, that she cool. was watching on the actual computer screen on the ship deck. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah. Think, it, it, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think that's just why the film is, and most of his films are so effective, just because he plans out that far for everybody. That's really cool. Well, like I said, I look forward to the to the future ones as well. Um, so I feel like we kind of, at the top, talked a little bit about some of these actors. So I think we could kind of sprinkle them in, if that's okay with you. I'm good for some um, sprinkles. As we t- yeah. Sounds good. Um, why don't we go ahead and talk about some of your favorite scenes from the movie? You can go in chronological order if you like, or you can just pick some of your favorite scenes up to you. Oh, my goodness. Chronological order. 
Yeesh. I'm like, terrible at chronological order, so if you pick that, I will leave that up to you because my brain jumps all over the place. But no, no, because like. <laughs> I'll say something that's early at the beginning of the movie. of like, but actually, I also liked the scene before that, so I can't do that. No, I'm <laughs> okay. good for I'm good for any, anywhere. Um, okay. <laughs> I guess the biggest one, which I think is kind of like the apex of the movie, is the um, the cesarean operation oh my god oh like i saw it again last night and i was practically sweating like she was oh my goodness no i was watching it this morning <laughs> and i was like my god i forgot how harrowing this was like and i know she survives like i've seen the movie multiple times but even then i'm like i'm nervous and like in pain and writhing and i think that's i think that's why the scene is so effective because it just one, it looks really good because it's, again, it's all practical. Mm-hmm. The only bit of CG in there was the little arms in the Met Pod. Oh, God. I hate, Every... I hate when they, like, prior open. It's the worst. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. But they, they pried open prosthetics, which is even, you know, like, oh, it's yeah. all real. And it, it just, it's so gross. And, oh, I just, it's not really a scene that you even pardon the pun dissect really it's just um i it's just like it just the whole movie builds to this idea of like what you said earlier like parenthood and there's always like this mother child thing going on and this is kind of like all of that put together you know yeah and survival too because i feel like you know they you know david He's always got an agenda, but he's basically like, oh, we'll just put you back to sleep and even like dopes her up. And, you know, that's how it was supposed to go. But he didn't count on her being so, you know, her self-preservation taking over the way it did. And her, you know, there's so many times that I'm like, how can she stand up after that? How can she do this? How can she do that? But I guess, you know, how can a woman give birth to a baby and then walk around the next day or walk around a few days from? I mean, Mm. it's all... There's a level of horror to it, right? Even in real life. So when it comes to surgery or giving birth, there's just something scary about it. So I think like, you know, they do a good job of sort of portraying that with her character and uh, and especially in that moment. I think it sets up for us that like this lady will do literally anything to survive. (laughs) She will survive. And I think it makes, you know, her making it towards the end of the movie and basically being the only one left more believable because we saw what she went through earlier. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, it's a really good point. And I think Numi really like, she acts the hell out of the beginning of the movie all the way to the end. Yeah. I love her. (laughs) Oh yeah. She just, this like quiet strength, but excitement but and then when the, her self-preservation really kicks in, this like badassery, but it, it's really, it is it is great. But um, yeah, so give, you do a scene. I don't want to go. Oh, let's uh, let's go back and forth. <laughs> Let me think. Um, I, I I guess we kind of touched on it earlier, but I like the part where David is watching Lawrence of Arabia and and he's going through his whole little routine until people wake up. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, all the scenes that we have, like, either alone with him or close to it are the ones that I like the most. <laughs> I think so. Any scene with David goes right to the top of the list. Pretty just... much. And I sometimes I try to analyze that. I'm like, why do I like his character the most? I mean, all I can come up with is I've always liked, like, you know, Isaac Asimov and, like, just any stories that revolve around robots for some reason. Hmm. Um, I like that scene and then also the one where... Uh, since it's a kind of a quick scene, the other scene that I really like is the one where he's talking to uh, Elizabeth's uh, boyfriend. Like you said, loose label. We don't really ever get a full picture of how close they really are. I mean, they're dating, but I, I don't know well, for how long. Or I think well, there's a there's a very brief interaction with them in which you know he says like it's so easy to create life. Oh and, yeah, and she gets upset because she can't have kids. And, and he so, must have known that, yeah, because right. the way he reacts. Right. So I would imagine that they're at least in an extremely serious relationship, if not, mm-hmm. you know, if not married. But it doesn't ever really indicate that they're they're married. But right. I don't know. Ridley Scott likes things to be left to the imagination sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But that scene where um, right before Charlie gets infected uh, by David, mm-hmm. um, he's just being mean. You know, there's always a character in these alien movies, at least alien in this movie, where um, humans always have this automatic disdain and want to create this distance anytime they're around a robot. Um, and they're just uncomfortable. They point it out. They question them. They don't trust them. And on some level, they really shouldn't because I think any <laughs> any product that Waylon puts in front of you is probably not, does not have your best interest in mind. So on the one hand, you know, they're right. But on the other hand, you kind of always feel bad for the robot no matter what. Um, but yeah, Charlie's not very nice. And he makes a comment um, to David that kind of sets him off. And David says, you know, how would you feel if you found out that your makers didn't care when they made you pretty much? And uh, I thought that was a really cool part of the film because mm. then it has you thinking about that the rest of the movie. You know, we always just think, oh, well, there's some great purpose to my life, obviously, if someone created me, then they had really good things in mind. But then, you know, this other guy points out that creating robots, we didn't have, you know, good things in mind. So now creates the question back to him, you know, did your creator care about you? And I just, I thought that was really cool because David's met his creator and he doesn't care about him. That's right. (laughs) That's right. And I think, well, even David... David kind of initiates that encounter too because because Waylon tells him, you know, from his little crypt thing, his little cryo sleep <laughs> thing. He looks like the crypt keeper. He does. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's his feet. It's not even his face. It's his feet. That was the grossest part about him. <laughs> that was bad, yeah. It was so bad. But um, you know, he tells him like do better. You know, that's what because that's what he ends up telling Vickers. That, Mm -hmm. you know, he says, you know, he says, do better. And that's when he initiates putting the, you know, the the drop in in his in his drink. Right. And And he selects him for because he's a jerk to him because he's because he's a jerk. (laughs) Yep. He's a total jerk. And, (laughs) you know, that's fine. I don't even care. I like the other guys better. So I feel (laughs) like I feel bad for um, Sean Harris and Rafe Spall. I can't remember their character names, but the one with like the hammer worm or whatever it is. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That... Yeah, because they were kind of comedy relief. You, we got to know them a little bit, and yeah, I didn't expect they were gonna die right away like they did. <laughs> no, and I mean, 
it's funny because you the like the chest bursting scene in Alien is iconic and gross mm-hmm. and and horribly painful and all this stuff. And I think I think John John Hurt got off easy in comparison to most of these characters. Yeah, it's like I don't know, and it's I think it's because those scenes are so iconic that Ridley Scott had to approach them in a different way. Like how, how does he do something new and that's surprising? And I I think a lot of it is by making it even worse Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and more of a slow build, like not everything is so immediate as it was in the, in the other movie where it's like face hugger next instance, you know, something terrible is happening. It it felt like everything kind of slowly built on itself with these creatures in this movie. Right. Cause there's, there's some kind of theme about like, the limits of the human body that this movie kind of plays with because mm. you know in all their deaths because it kind of starts not small but you know it has like you know he gets you know there's a there's the acid and then there's the the hammer the hammer worm and then there's the the med pod machine and then like by the end you know like you have like basically zombies right you know like right. deformed human corpses and like what can they do after they die and then you have Waylon like attempting to live forever and escape that kind of fate of of human mortality. So it's just you know like what what can the body sustain and like what horrors can you inflict upon it? Even Shaw herself, I guess <laughs> she goes through a lot of pain being inflicted on her throughout the film. I know, and she just wants to meet some nice aliens. I know. She just wants answers. <laughs> she probably has like the purest motives, I feel like, out of everybody on that ship, too. Because she truly just wants to learn. And some of them want money. I feel like even though her boyfriend is on this journey with her, it's like he's so cynical. And he, you know, he wants to just prove that it's hard science and there's nothing magical about life. And it's like, that's kind of hard to root for. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like she has the most pure motives, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, I agree. Because like most of the most of the crew from the ship don't really have motives. Like Idris Elba's character is like he's the ship's captain, and then right. he has his shipmates, you know. And even Vickers is kind of like I love Charlize Theron, but her her character doesn't like. I actually don't know what her motivation is, apart from proving to her father that she's worth something. I guess. Yeah, it feels like that's it with her. I mean, it's kind of like David in a way, except that David's a little bit more evolved. He's thinking beyond Waylon, but yeah, she seems pretty stunted by it. But I feel like it's also hard to tell what her motives are because half the movie you're wondering if she's a robot or not. <laughs> it's true because she doesn't. She her um she has a, about the same emotive level as David, but she's mm-hmm. less. But she's not creepy. And so right. is she a better is she a better model than David? Like I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's all good. It's good. Um I for, I I had a question and I completely lost it, so never mind. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm sure it'll come back to you. Mm-hmm. Um I did forget to mention so we talked a lot about Numi Rapace and obviously she's from the uh the original uh Girl with the Dragon Tattoo mm-hmm. film. Um, which I really loved. I preferred that one actually over the the U.S. version, although that one was good too. Um, yeah, I really liked the way she plays that character, so wanted to shout that out. And then we mentioned her boyfriend, uh, Charlie Holloway, who's Logan Marshall Green, who I just saw 
in uh, When They See Us. I didn't realize that was the same guy because he's playing such a different person. But <laughs> which movies? When they see, which one's that? Uh, that's that Ava DuVernay uh, miniseries that's on Netflix right now about the Central Park Five. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. I did not know that he was in that. Yeah, he's he's one of the lawyers. And he's playing like this really good guy. So he he doesn't he's not like this character in this movie. So he looks totally different. He's got like red hair. Looks completely different. But this this time when I was watching the movie, I was like, man, that guy's so familiar. Like I feel like I just saw him, and I literally had like the day before. So that's great. Wanted to shout that out. <laughs> that's great. I had completely forgotten that Benedict Wong was in this movie. I, I sat there staring at him. Like I'm like. That's him, right? Because he looks pretty different from he from how he looks in like Doctor Strange or something. He's very skinny. Yeah, he's super skinny. <laughs> he's a very, he's a skinny he's a skinny Benedict Wong, which good yeah. for him, good for him. But it's almost like uh, it's funny because he's such a good actor, and I'm and you you kind of watch him and go, wow, this is really like a bit part. Like you're not right. Really, yeah. this is like you getting your footwork in because this is before Ridley Scott is like, hey. Be in all of, be in more of my movies. You were great, mm-hmm. uh, but I like that. Uh, what do you um? Is there like a, I guess like a, like a flaw in this movie? Something that you actually like don't like, or is there something that you mm. like you, or is it like a a straight A plus for you? Oh, that's a hard question. Uh, let me think. I don't know. I think it's pretty much an A plus for me. Um, I've heard the argument that, you know, some of these scientists make dumb decisions. But my answer to that is like, there it is part horror movie. So mm-hmm. don't we say that in every horror movie? We're like, well, don't go in that house, you know. And so I'm kind of like, I don't know. Like it, it kind of depends on the level that these people are. I mean, we want to think they're the best of the best, but I feel like they're whoever volunteered. Um, so I, I don't know. He always has like a ragtag team. Like Ridley Scott had like an alien, you know, they weren't all, there's just kind of like a working man vibe to the crew in all his films. So I, I felt like this fit with that. Um, they were a little more cartoony, I think, than alien. So I could see why some people might not have liked them as much, but I think the movie's so heavy that it worked for me to have a little bit of relief sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. No, not really. No, there wasn't really like a big thing that stood out to me. What about you? No, I agree. I, I hear, I've heard the same complaints, you know, like, Oh, they took off their helmets. What are you dumb? And I'm like, but it's a horror movie. Like, like you said, like, like if, if, if people didn't make dumb decisions in horror movies, there is no horror. Right. It's like, the, that's part of what scares you. Someone doing something, that you wouldn't do that would scare you, you know? So I, I was okay with that. Um, I guess they could have changed that a little bit, maybe made it like an accident or they had to take their helmets off. That's all I could think of. But I, I almost feel like a lot of times when people mention that part, it's like they just didn't like the movie. And so they're looking for, you know, more things that they didn't like. Yep. I agree. Um, about it. Yeah. I agree. I'm, I mean, I think the movie could have been more straightforward, but then I don't know if I would have liked it as much. So it's kind of hard to say what I think should have been different. Yeah. I, I, the only thing that I can, I could think about that. I, I always wrinkle my nose. at. It's not really a fault of the movie. It's with a character is when Charlize mm-hmm. Theron's character is running away from the collapsing ship. When Victor's running <laughs> away from the ship. And I'm like, just, just do a diagonal, just to, you know, like t- <laughs> take a, take a, take a left turn and you'll be fine. 
Why are you why are you out running something that's hundreds of feet long? Like that was a that was not smart. You got a serpentine, you know. You got a yeah yeah. That's <laughs> serpentine, serpentine. Yeah yeah. That's 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 true. Um, I I will say I I'm not crazy about the turn that in the next movie some of the characters take. Like I don't like the way that they, you know, spoilers if you haven't seen Alien Covenant, but the way they dispatch with Elizabeth Shaw's character and. You know, David's like, oh, I dissected her. I felt like, I don't know if that felt like he would really do that or not. I don't know. I, I feel weird about some of the stuff that happens in that movie. But in this movie, I like where it's all headed. And I know a lot of people say that, you know, we don't get enough information about the engineers and what it all means. But, you know, part of the appeal to these movies for me is that they are so dark and mysterious. And I feel like if they tell us too much, I'm just, I don't know, it just becomes like anything else where... Maybe that was my problem with some of the other sequels was like, well, you know, they've showed us everything. I, there's nothing else to see. So I kind of like for things to stay shrouded in mystery. You know, I agree with you. And I think that part of the lore of this movie that I like so much is that we don't know something we don't know about them. It's no different than the, than the first Alien film where like you don't know why that elephant man is sitting at a giant cannon. Mm-hmm. You know, and yes, I would like to know more. And this movie gave me that information and I mm-hmm. liked the information that I had to give. But I don't need to necessarily know everything for everything. Right. Like we don't know why they originally came here. You know, why did they turn on humans? Why infect them with that stuff? Whose idea was that? What was his motive? You know, it's like we're just coming into it after it's already all happened and picking up from there. Um, life doesn't life doesn't always give you answers and so i don't expect i don't expect this film to also to, to give me answers right like uh doesn't who, who is it either david or charlie says to you know new, uh to elizabeth shaw you know well we found them and they're gone and that's it and but she's like but who made them like she's just ready for more exploration and more answers and mm-hmm. I, I i like that about her character it's true. I it, and in some ways, then it, it's so tragic that you know, like she'll never. Maybe she would never even. She would never be satisfied. No, so no matter yeah, what answer she found, she would always be like, "Oh, what's the, what's the next answer after that?" It's almost like a shopaholic, where like you can buy that sweater that you that you've waited to get, but then you're just gonna want another sweater. And then there's that cruel aspect to the fact that David infected Charlie and he says to her, like, isn't this kind of how your dad died in a really violent way through an illness? It's like, damn, David, what, you know, he's terrible. But um, I, I feel like there's something about the trauma of losing her father that's, yeah, it's like it, it kind of broke her in a way to where she's just always looking for more and more answers to something there isn't really a good answer to. There's not really a good reason why her father died that way and i feel like i don't know like she's almost like she's running from something but mm-hmm. i like that they don't explore it too much we just kind of get little hints of it yeah i like that too who's her father played by um he looks so familiar i could i i don't know patrick wilson oh that's it oh I that's right could not remember dude him. i yeah. i was looking at him and i'm like is that him and then i was like i convinced myself it wasn't that's great <laughs> he looks so different no that can't be him he's too important to be in this one scene i almost said that and then i it was one of those things you ever watch a movie with someone and you're about to say that and then uh and then like you you don't because you're like that's gonna sound dumb that's not him 
yeah, and then you're yeah. afraid the other person's gonna go what that's obviously not him so i just didn't say anything but now that you say that yeah it's totally him that's great <laughs> i love that i like that you do that i think it's even better if somebody if you like oh no i'm not gonna say that and two seconds later somebody else says it right like, oh, I missed my, and everyone agrees and you're like oh that could have been me that was my fact that was my moment it's like it's like knowing the answer in class and not raising your hand <laughs> And then somebody says it, and you're like, well, I did know the answer. Now I look like one of the dumb ones. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, man. Is there a particular death in the film that you like? Like one that you're hmm. like, that like it. That's the best one. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I think I like them for different reasons. You know, you mentioned the one with the two scientists earlier that was like a horribly violent end for both of them. And then they come, kind of come back later. Um, uh, I guess I like that death a little bit more than Charlie's death um, where he's on fire. Because mm-hmm. um, I kept feeling like when he was on fire, like I'm on... Charlie's there on side, but I'm also like he's still like he on 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 the deck. Like, is can you scoop him off and set him on fire further away? Like, I know that's mean, but I was just I think I have a pretty big fear of like <laughs> infectious diseases, so I'm just that kind of hypochondriac part of me is just freaked out at any time there's some sort of infection named. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess probably that that first big death that we see. Oh my god! Can you scoop him away? That's great. Yeah, I'm like just push him with like a broom. I don't know. Like it's funny how I go from being so sympathetic to like, okay, get him out of here. He's he's done. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, what about you? I think I can't. Now I can't remember the character's. Name. I can't remember the character's name, and it's going to, it's gonna, bug me. But I will know what I want to do. I'm gonna look it up. It's the the guy that gets um. It's the guy that gets attacked, and then the alien goes down his throat. Um, oh yeah. Oh. Uh, what's his name? Mel Millard. Um, hold on. I've I'm so close. I'm Prometheus. Thank you. IMDb is just the greatest thing that's ever been. It really is. Invented. Like I don't know. I wouldn't have a show if it didn't exist. <laughs> oh my goodness! It's just the best. Milburn. His name is Milburn. Okay. That was tough. Um, I think he's my, I think he's my favorite death because it's just there's something about like the the wiggling and like yeah. it's just so gross. Like it cracks his arm and then like it goes into the when you see it like crawl across his helmet. Uh, And when he's like, it's in my suit. And you're like, well, you're done. (laughs) It's just so, that's so horrifying. And I think that's the one. Although this is not a death, but his cool like hoodie with his giant collar looks like the most Mm -hmm. comfortable piece of clothing to ever exist. (laughs) And I thought it since I saw the movie in theaters and I was like, I have to get me that type of that hoodie. That's awesome. (laughs) I also think uh, probably Waylon's death is another favorite of mine. Because he like, you know, you find out later that he's been cryogenically frozen and that these are like his last few moments and he wanted to, this whole thing is just so he can meet them, uh, the makers. And, uh, you know, there's one left because David woke him up, I guess. Um, and he takes Wayland to see him and ask, ask him all these questions and, the, and he just hits him. And I just, I don't know, I like that end of just like, I'm not going to answer your questions. I'm going to like strangle you and then smack you and that's it. 
I like that when Waylon first appears. Um, I like that Waylon first appears. Uh, they play the alien theme, oh. like in his holographic image thing. Like, oh yeah, see, this is this is the guy. This, yeah, this is the guy. This is the terrible. This is the terrible man that makes all of this happen. But not really. But he makes it all happen. Yeah, he's like an evil aging oil baron. <laughs> That's what he looks like. That's exactly that's exactly <laughs> what he is. Oh my goodness! Well, because even the the crew of the Nostromo are miners, so like yeah, you, yeah. You're, it's pretty you're pretty close. He's it's like always a, very anti corporate. I mean, it's almost the same thing in a uh, in Blade Runner with uh, the giant no, pyramid. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the guy's name. That's gonna kill me, but I'll remember it later. Go ahead. I just have Waylon's name in my head, yeah. so now I right. can't it, remember. It blocked everything else out. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot. Oh man. Oh. Oh well. Um, are there any? Are there any other characters that like stick out to you besides David? Um. Let's see. I you know and mentioned Elizabeth. obviously yeah. Elizabeth. Uh. I I I like the way Charlize Theron plays Meredith Vickers. Um. I like that half the movie. It's like sort of a mystery as to like you said what her motives are and. And I think they question her humanity, not just because of how she acts, but because of the decisions she makes. I mean, she's extremely, like, cold in how she handles, you know, when crew members are possibly going to die or... And she's very, like, single-minded, so she's very robotic in that way. Mm. Um, And then I also really like Guy Pearce anytime I see him. So even though he's got kind of a smaller part in this movie, I I really liked him as Peter Whelan. Yeah, I did too. I like Guy Pearce in pretty much anything. Yeah, yeah, really. he's awesome. And it's like I, I don't, I don't remember if I knew if he was going to be in it, but then when I saw him, I was like, oh, it's Guy Pearce. Like I, I figured it out. It doesn't matter how much makeup he's wearing. I know who he is. <laughs> That's funny because I remember watching this movie and thinking, "Why do I know you? Why do I know you? Why do I know you? You don't look familiar, but I should know who you are." <laughs> Yeah, and then Idris Elba, I don't know if he's underserved in this movie. I feel like he is a little bit. I mean, he's fine. Jenik is fine, but I, I yeah, the, he didn't really have a big part. Yeah, I agree. Underserved. He has a like a little unspoken arc where he's like, I'm just here to make money. And by the end, he's like, I'm saving humanity. And he kind of like naturally gets there, but mm-hmm. it's very it's very understated. It know. is. It's like I kind of needed more because it's such a huge turn. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I bought, you know, like we know from Shaw's perspective that she's telling the truth. But I mean, that's such a big concept for him to sort of all of a sudden get on board with. I mean, I know he's seen a lot of aliens, but I feel like if I were him, I'd be like, I don't know. You really think it's going to get all the way back to Earth? How would that happen? You know, <laughs> Like it, she, he just buys it really quick. That's true. Although they are in a spaceship, so true. maybe it's a it's less of a leap for him to be like, oh, well, they also have a spaceship. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I continue. I I almost wish that it was a different actor, so I like you could see him like again in a bigger role, if that makes sense. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah, but that's okay. I think this was really before he was a big name too. Hmm. Back in just like maybe his Luther days. I think this might have been his Luther days. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uther. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Let me think. I I like the way that they uh that really Scott came up with how to play like the memories or the recordings of what just happened or what had just happened when all this 
went down. Like, you know, when they get to the planet and everything is gone, uh, there's no straight lines in nature. And so they go down mm. there and uh, everything is wiped out. And the way that we find out was through the recordings. And I, I remember thinking this last time, I was like, that's such a smart way to do it because it's like haunting and ghost-like almost. But, you know, they don't have to specifically say like, this is our recording, but we figure it out like right away. And I, I don't know. I just like visually the way that was done because it, it was more interesting than if they like watched a screen and like played a tape, you know, that can be kind of boring in movies when they do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Looking at you, Star Wars. No, um, <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point. I think that's what I think Ridley Scott is kind of the master of where like because I love films that don't need to tell you because I think in other films like someone would turn to somebody else and go. Oh, it's a recording of them. So yeah. so like the dumb people <laughs> in the audience would get it. You know, like the the general rule in film is you gotta say it three times. Say it once for the smart people, once for the average folk, and then once for the dumb crowd. Like yeah. and so but Ridley Scott doesn't do that. He's like, once for the smart folk. <laughs> That's it. That's all you get. And there's something so you know, like Lost City of Atlantis, the way that, or Pompeii or something, the way that, you know, everything is just like gone. And it seems like it was all wiped out very quickly, which I think kind of leads back into the whole Greek mythology thing a little bit. Um, so I like that part of it. I mean, I, I just, I like the way, you know, they did horror in this one, but it was a little bit different from Alien. Like we keep saying he wanted to do something different. So this is sort of more of a, you know, finding everything after it happened. Instead of like them walking in and like everything happening as soon as they get there. Yeah, I, th- I there is something I like the Lost City of Atlantis. Actually, <laughs> um, it, it's very, in a way, it's almost like this movie could be like, like an Indiana Jones adventure, like a science fiction yeah. Indiana Jones adventure, because it's like this lost civilization isn't here anymore, and what happened to them? Let's discover. But instead, it just turns into you know havoc and murder and everything like although i guess like other indiana jones adventures but instead of it being fun havoc it's murderous havoc or horror havoc and um and i've never actually i've never really thought about the movie that way but it is like a archaeological like action adventure in its own way (laughs) what do you think about the engineer at the end when you know uh David starts speaking to him in his alien language that he learned really quick and he's just like no and like rips his head off and then smacks Waylon around um like I guess I was thinking in that moment he's like more of you or you know like he's not a big fan of us in general um but like and then he just jumps in a ship and gets away like what did you think about that moment? Like, what what do you think is going on there? It's a little bit of oh my god, what why why are these the things that are happening right now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I see. I you took a turn. Interesting. I see. Well, the the language that David speaks to him is Sanskrit. I think. Oh, okay. Um, and so that was like because he I thought he figured it out because he was like pushing all the little buttons and everything, and he somehow figured out that's what they spoke. Well, I he in his um, um, I guess a time awake on the ship while everyone's asleep in cryo sleep. Oh yeah, he was he, learning all those languages. He's learning languages, and he mentions it. I think like halfway through the movie again, someone's like, "Hey, how are you coming on those languages?" And he's like, "Pretty good, thanks for asking." <laughs> yeah, 
Um, and so, and because they're all supposed to, like, the the engineers were supposed to have visited Earth at, like, various different stages because oh, they all right. point okay. to the same thing. I think, like, maybe Sanskrit is their language and people took Sanskrit and adapted it like they were taught Sanskrit by the engineers mm. or something along, something along those lines. Yeah, and then they and then the engineers like you again, you know, he's right. not a big fan of people. No, but <laughs> but I think it's telling that there is no translation, like there's no subtitle to what David tells them. That's true. And so maybe David told them, maybe maybe David said, "Rip my head off and get out of here and kill everyone because they're here to get you or something like that." Yeah, it's true. We have no idea what he said to him. Nope. I hadn't thought of it that way. I just like took for granted that he was doing whatever uh whatever Waylon wanted, but you're right. Right, but he but you I think you said himself or even he David says like don't all create parents want to want their parents or don't all children want their parents dead or something like that. Yeah, which I was like I don't. I don't. <laughs> I love my I love my mom and dad. I don't <laughs> want them to die and I certainly don't want to be the one to kill them. And, but uh which tells you how whacked David is really, but yeah. he could have easily have told the like he'd have been like, "Hey, I'm not going to hurt you, but they're here to kill you," which would explain why he's so aggressive. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought of it that way. And do you feel like there's a theme in that um, what makes us human or what makes us maybe sentient is a better word for it? What is this capacity to be so violent and so, I don't know, I feel like there's like, that's a theme throughout all these stories is that, you know, that's, that's the defining factor. Like David wants to be, in a way, I think better than us or superior, but... You know, we're me and my husband were talking about. We're wondering if, like, in the next movie, he's just going to find out like he's basically just as bad. Like, there's nothing more evolved to him in that aspect because that seems to always be pretty consistent. Mm, if anything, he's version. if anything, he's worse, right? Mm -hmm. Like he he act, because <laughs> doesn't he cause like is it in, in Alien Covenant? Doesn't David cause the genocide of all those aliens? Yeah, I mean it's yeah it's it's yeah he's so. There's not really a good side to his character at all. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what that's adding up to or what that means. It's like, again, I feel like there's a little bit of, like, questions on morality with the alien in general. But it's like, you know, we see them as something that's like an infection. You know, there's a lot of talk of infection and, um, you know, a predator and all this stuff. But it's like, isn't it just the same thing we're doing? And so by extension... Yeah, isn't he just doing the same thing? Maybe worse, learning from us. So, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the next one says. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Or the next 10. <laughs> it, I mean, maybe Ridley Scott is an alien. Maybe he's Waylon. Yeah. And, oh, and that's why he's just, he's not in a bad way, but, you know, he's just figured out a way to preserve and prolong his life like you wouldn't believe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after he dies he'll come out of like cryostasis and show up at the premiere or something right he just goes into his little cryo sleep chamber until <laughs> it's time to film the movie and he gets out and he's like okay we're gonna go here and here and i want to drink my red wine and we're gonna go here all right i'm back in the tube all right i'll see you for the next film <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome I hope that's true. I know it's not, but I hope it's true. <laughs> I want it to be true. I, so bad do I want it to be true. I want it in the <laughs> same way like I want a sequel to Alien Covenant. Like Exactly. I want it to be true. 
But <laughs> yeah, who knows? I actually with the with Fox being bought by Disney, who actually knows what the what will happen to Yeah, they may be like, um no or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you see they didn't make as much money as we would have liked, so that's a no. Yeah. Yeah. But well, I'm glad you answered a couple of the questions that I had watching this. I feel like no matter how many times I've seen it, I've had a couple more questions. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I kind of want them answered and I kind of don't. So, but I liked I liked that answer a lot. I, oh, good. I you know it's funny because I this is the first time watching it that I didn't feel like I had a question. Isn't that mm-hmm. like I was like, oh, this all this all fits and works. I think the further back you step from the Alien franchise, the better the film is. I completely agree. And, and and I remember saying, or that was how I defended it too, was a lot of people were like, there weren't any aliens in it. And I'm like, well, it's not even called alien. Like alien actually isn't even in the title. Right. I th- they kind of described it as like a side quote or like it's like a parallel story. So like, yeah. so like it, it'll hit a point, it hits a point where like, well, the Nostromo crew will find the aliens, but Shaw and David are out in the world doing their thing. And mm-hmm. they just kind of keep going, and it's a uh, different adventures in the same universe, or different yeah. horrors in the same universe, whatever. But I think people forget how weird the alien movies get to after Aliens. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I've kind of like I kind of remember the third one, but I think that's about where I dropped off. Yeah, and and it's be- best not to speak of the fourth one at all. So. <laughs> An Alien and Predator versus Predator was fun, but I, I don't sit around dissecting it or anything. No, no, that movie is <laughs> that movie is meant for the battles and nothing more. It's not even meant for the human characters. At least in this one, where like, you know, the the characters are the characters are interesting. At least Shaw and David are incredibly interesting, even if mm-hmm. some of the some of the others aren't aren't terribly. And it's enough to to merit a conversation. And. So, okay, in Alien, I, I feel like sometimes, and forgive me, I think some of the movies kind of blend together in my mind a little bit. Um, but in the first Alien movie, the robot was bad, right? I yes. always get, like, the one, the second one's the one with Lan Henriksen, right? Yeah, the second one is the one with the knife game. Yeah, and, and it's like, and in that one, they're like, he's good. And it's, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. I guess when you watch this movie... If you're not sure in the beginning, David could really go either way then. I, I mean, I feel right. like even though it's, it's like you said, the further you step back from it, the better it becomes. But it really helps to have that base of understanding, I guess, the rules of the universe a little bit. Even though I know they stray from some of what the other films establish, I think just having at least the first film or maybe the first two under your belt kind of gives you a foundation. I mean, I can't imagine walking into this cold, you know? No, although see, I, I've never seen, I've never met anybody to see this film without seeing Alien. So I'm curious, like, does this movie mean anything to you without seeing Alien? But I think it does, because it doesn't lean on any of the Alien mythology. It just kind of uses the same set pieces, and then yeah, you're right. It more references them visually than it does mm-hmm. talk about them a lot. Right, because Alien takes place in the future from right from prometheus so it wouldn't have anything to reference necessarily so right so it's not like watching the phantom menace or whatever without watching any of the other star wars movies we're mm-hmm. like who's that who's that oh, why are they important oh. yeah 
Yeah, although I will say, I don't think it's a good idea to, if you've never seen it, I don't think it's a good idea to watch this and then Alien. I think Alien should be the first one you see still. I agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. I, and part of me even says that just because Alien was made in 79. And right. And so you, you don't, sometimes it's tougher to, even watching chronologically, it's, it's harder to go back to an older film because now mm-hmm. you're maybe expecting a certain kind of visual flair that wasn't possible you know 30 years previously right that said it ages really well so oh yeah i think (laughs) alien is apart from the apart from the the computer where they like type stuff in and they're like (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to predict stuff like that yeah it really it or even to make stuff later you know that's even even in this movie when shaw was it it was Shaw or Meredith Vic- no it was Shaw she was like speaking in that little recorder thing which at first she was holding it I'm like is that a cigarette what is that and then she's talking into it and I just laughed out loud and said haha like in the future they'll still be talking into little recorders like I don't think they will we're already like not doing that that very much <laughs> god I didn't even think about that but she really would be like talking into a a phone or something oh. yeah like even like on Star Trek you know they're not holding up a little recorder to their mouth i thought that was such a weird scene i was like what it's like going backwards <laughs> wow i did not think about that but you're so right it's like oh let me just pop in this vhs tape while i record <laughs> yeah, it felt it felt very much like that that's funny that's really funny although maybe we're just in the wrong professions and we just don't <laughs> you know yeah. we just don't record our innermost thoughts that way instead it's yeah. we do it with a big microphone and we we let the internet listen at its leisure <laughs> that's true that's true um well did you have any other scenes or any other things you wanted to touch on in the film i think we we didn't we've kind of talked about this but haven't i think one of the things that i i, I that drew me to this film so much and across the board is how how little CG is in the movie, like mm. how much, how many practical effects and practical sets and like so they filmed this movie in Pine at Pinewood Studios in London, which is one of the biggest sound stages in the world, the 007 Studio. Oh wow! And they even added a part to it because it, it's like 300 feet or something like that. And they were like, it's not big enough. We need to add more. And they added wow. more to that studio just to fit everything. Cause like when they built the ship, they built the ship in every room and you can go through every single room. And then like, you know, like all the corridors and all the stuff, those are all sets. None of it is green screen. Oh, I did not realize that. Yeah. I think that that's a strength. I know I keep comparing it, but I felt like maybe in Alien Covenant there was like a little too much CG. Did you feel that way watching that one? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And so in this one, uh, I think that that is a strength to the film that there's still sets. It's almost like in in the next one they like convinced Ridley Scott like, don't worry, we don't need all this anymore. It's like, you do still. I mean, that's it's just part of what makes it a Ridley Scott film and... um, yeah, you're you're right. It it feels very like tactile and real and, and, and I think that's a good callback to the alien movie too. You know, that's a way to sort of reference it visually back to the old one. They had to have all these practical sets and so when they do it again it, it feels like a, a bigger connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean Covenant feels less connected in its own way because mm-hmm. it doesn't take place in the same locations. Oh yeah. And so you're almost allowed, I guess 
CG or whatever, but it's also it's very expensive to build sets. In a lot of ways, it's very it's much easier to put a green screen up and figure it out sure. later. But, yeah, but it could be harder. But it just doesn't it doesn't age as well. Well, and there's something about you know the alien movie that felt even though they're on like a ship, it felt very like suffocating and isolating and scary. Like mm -hmm. that was a character in and of itself, just being out there and alone. And I feel like in Prometheus, you still get that vibe because they're on this basically deserted planet. So even though it's a much bigger space, you know, they're not just on their ship the whole time and they're on this planet, um, they're in another ship. <laughs> and so like it, it feels really suffocating and small again. And so I feel like the more that they get away from that and like the bigger they make the space, it can almost work against the fear factor. Cause a lot of, you know, horror movies, they have that aspect to them that they're, you know, you're, you feel very alone and scared and um, suffocated. Um, and so without that, I don't, I don't know, can it still be scary? So I, I don't know. I think I, that's what I like about this one. Yeah, you know that's a that's a really that's a really good point. Do you find is this movie does it feel as suffocating as Alien? Or Probably not. Mm. I mean, it, it's different because it's it's bigger and they're exploring and I don't know. It's a little different, but I still think it's it does feel like that at points because they get trapped into spaces in the movie. Right, right, yeah. But Whether I, it's in that like pod thing or, you know, in a room or, you know, it, you still kind of get that same feel. That's a really good point. I guess that they can't just like run away. You know, if they could, they would have done that. But mm -hmm. they, there's all these little things that happen in the movie to where they can't just be like, why don't I just go to another side of this planet, you know? So. Oh, that's so true because they're, <laughs> they're on a whole planet. All they have to do is just, all right, everybody in the ship and we're just going to go fly to the other side. And problem solved. Like, we don't yeah. even have to go back into space, everyone. We'll just go to the other side of the planet. And I guess Waylon keeps him there, at least in the beginning, with, you know, he's got to meet them despite all these really horrible signs that they should leave. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but again, like we said, that's part of the horror aspect. You know, characters right. don't make good decisions in horror movies. Yeah. You it's know, a punishment for, you know challenging how things are i guess <laughs> right it's also really hard to make good decisions like it's good for, it's easy for the audience to make good decisions because we have all the information or that's we, true we at least have more like we know something shady is happening with david nobody else does yeah he just seems like a weird robot like how do you tell he's not supposed to have any motives mm -hmm. right because obviously you know obviously Waylon programmed him with the first rule of asimov's you know robot laws so <laughs> You know, he won't hurt us. It's no big deal. <laughs> he has the best intentions for us. He does. Well, you know, big things <laughs> have small beginnings. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I would just... Do you think that if Michael Fassbender wasn't playing David, David would be as enjoyable a character? I have to think no. I can't really... Did you see any uh, facts about, like, anyone else? I didn't see anything like who almost played David or anything like that, but I can't no, really they, picture it. They sent him the script and he said yes, and that was that. Oh, wow. Okay, so they knew who they wanted right away. And mm -hmm. he's kind of one of those actors, too, that I, I thought he would be, like, bigger by now. Michael like, Fassbender? Thought, yeah. Like, you, I feel like he's he's made a lot of decisions that don't always pan out. You mean 
well, I guess this franchise technically. You yeah, know. or like that weird snow movie that he was in. <laughs> oh, yeah, The Snowman. I forgot it's about like, that movie. It's weird. Like he picks like some some movies that he's picked are just like, what? You know, what? why Why are you doing that? So, yeah, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like it's really... Because, I don't know, I, maybe I just can't think of it on, off the top of my head, but is there something that he has going on right now that's really... Wow, he has made out? some... Pe- okay, so if I go back... Like yeah, before. like look at his IMDb. I, all right, so I guess the X Men, but even that's not doing well yeah, right now. Right, but I mean, but two of them were spectacular. You know, like so he, yeah, he chose well at the beginning, so. and then that's not really, I guess, his fault. But no matter what he's in, he always brings it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, even right. If the movie it doesn't matter if the movie's okay, good or not. Yeah. He will always be good. Um, because then it was Snowman, and then the Alien, an Alien Covenant, and then Song to Song. Assassin's Creed, not a good choice. Yikes, yeah. The Light Between the Oceans, a just okay choice. Um, oh, Steve Jobs was a great movie. Macbeth was great. Slow West was great. Oh, well, he actually had a string in 2015. Three solid <laughs> movies in a row. Yeah, just not necessarily huge movies, right? Yeah, 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then before that he wasn't making good choices either the centurion jonah hex <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah wow he's a better agent one thing looking through his imdb though um that i really like about this movie was all the viral marketing they did do you remember that i do mm-hmm. tons I of i thought marketing. that was so cool i that that had me really invested in it i think that enhanced how i felt about it for sure i think ridley scott loves his his marketing campaign because the Martian had a ton of stuff like that too. I remember watching like, like videos with Mark Watney, like in interviews with NASA and they're like, why do you want to go to Mars? How do you think you'll react to being alone? (laughs) Oh yeah. I remember before that movie came out, I read the book and then I saw the movie. Yeah. I loved the Martian book. I liked the movie. I think it's very good, but, um, but it's I, good. It just doesn't feel like a Ridley Scott film almost. Like it's very straightforward well, compared he, to some of his other movies. He came on and directed it as a favor or something like that. Like oh, the director, okay. I think the previous director had dropped and Fox was like, please, Ridley, we'll make you, <laughs> you can make another alien movie if you make The Martian. He was like, okay. <laughs> He's like, done. Yeah, can do. I'm pretty sure that's, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. It was something that like that. That makes sense. Yeah, because I know the like the script was done, and normally he likes to work with the screenwriter. It's a very like, let's story, let's think about it, and then you write some pages, and then let's think about it some more, and I'll tell you what's good and what's not, and we'll write some more pages, and so. Oh, okay, that's good context. I didn't realize that, but it it does make sense. I I do like the movie, uh, but but yeah, it just I I had that thought when I saw it. I was like, well, it's pretty like chipper for a Ridley Scott film. It is chipper. <laughs> It is a tri- it is a chipper Ridley Scott film, but I mean he is very capable of comedy. Most of his films do have a good like good comic relief. Like he his characters, no matter what movie he makes, always feel like real people. Yeah, even though people often you know I've talked about on the show a lot. Not my favorite you know descriptor for a director, but they're like he's a cold director, and I don't know. There's a lot, I mean the whole story is about humanity. I don't feel like that's necessarily true but i at the same time i know what they mean his films feel in some ways distant like you're like you're almost like you're you're watching through a lens as opposed to being a part of it until yeah. he wants you to be a part of it 
Right. You know, like, I think that can make it scarier, though. Like, I, I like that even in, like, horror movies when you're looking at something from someone else's vantage point in a way, or, like, over their shoulder, actually, mm-hmm. I guess is what I mean. Like, uh, when we did the episode on The Conjuring, there's there's a lot of scenes where you feel like you're in the room with the characters instead of l- seeing it from their perspective. You just feel like you're watching it and with them. And mm-hmm. it, it's, in some ways, it makes it scarier. And I think in Alien, there's a lot of that. And in this one, too. I think Alien, especially, like when you watch the little blip and you're like, the green dot, it's there. They, they're going to die, <laughs> you know, and that's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a good chunk of that. And I think this one you're kind of kept at a distance until the horror starts and then you Mm -hmm. start to feel like you're with them. And that's very, I think that's, you're right. It's very intentional, but I don't find him very cold either. Like watching all, believe me, watching hours of those special features today, they (laughs) like, they were people, everybody was like, Ridley's the best. And you could tell he works them. Like he like really like, you know, he makes sure that all the details are there and he like comes to visit like once a week, all his departments, he sees what they're up and he imp- and he gives a lot of feedback and input and like, but everybody had like really gracious and nice things to say about him. Oh, that's nice. Actually, the whole cast, everyone was like, this was great. Everybody had a great time making Prometheus, apparently. Good, good. Yeah. So it seemed that everybody, everybody just really enjoyed the collaborative pro- what I heard over and over and over and over again was it was a collaborative process. So it didn't matter if you were a sound guy or an actor or a boom mic or a <laughs> like or the you know the caterer or whatever. If anybody had a good idea, anybody was welcome to voice it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, which is it's the best way to get feedback. I mean, it's true. Kind of in the moment. Yeah. It's true, and they said a lot of times Ridley would like come in and be like nope this is not i want to do this and everyone would be like oh no that screws up everything and then they would do it and they were like no that was better he was right (laughs) yeah i i think i don't know like a lot of my favorite uh directors tend to be kind of the same way you know like and they all talk about how they influence each other or how they're inspired by each other so you know filmmakers like stanley kubrick or christopher nolan or Ridley Scott, you know, those are the kind of directors that I really like that really pay attention to a lot of detail and are very visual. And like you said, like we kind of talked about already, that tends to make them seem more distant and cold. But I, was, I don't know, maybe I'm more distant and cold. I just like <laughs> I just like that perspective. More. I don't know. You seem warm and fuzzy to me. But I, <laughs> the, but it's funny because you said, though, you said Kubrick and Nolan and Scott. And I was like, those are all cold directors they're all exactly yeah yeah they're they they have a like a visually blue palette i guess like Mm -hmm. i would never describe their films as sunny even when the sun shines bright or deeply personal or you know what i mean like they're always they always have that third party perspective to them like you're watching and i think there's something about even like just because they say like ridley scott is a technically brilliant director maybe you don't like science fiction films or historical epics or and like those are really the types of films that he makes and so like i mean he makes other stuff too but if you if you don't like that genre of film you might like then you might and and if you're not into appreciating the technical aspects of film in the first place those are two things that are working against you so so if you don't like mind-bending thrillers don't watch memento 
In, right. You know. No, that's a good point. And isn't it interesting that those are pretty much the two types of films he makes, and he, and that's in Prometheus somehow. Like even the clips of Lawrence of Arabia, you know. So there's a callback to uh, uh, a historical. That's epic. true. I've never. He is rather like David Lean in that way too. David, the director of Lawrence of Arabia. If you want to go film mm-hmm. snobbery, um, <laughs> uh, it, he it is it's that same style. It's that like dis that cold and distant, you know, cinescope wide epic, you know. Um, but you're right, history. I didn't. Re- I've never really connected that before. But even. David is maybe a weird reflection of Ridley Scott in that, like, you know, I want to be a real boy, but I make, <laughs> yeah. I make films about history and science fiction. Yeah. I don't know. Cause actually Ridley Scott's films that are not those things are generally not as well received either. Yeah. Yeah. Like I forget that he directed them. <laughs> right. Right. Like they don't feel like Ridley Scott films as much. Yeah. Right. I, like th- you can tell this is what he wants to be doing. Right. Like I point you towards like, I don't know, like American gangster or something like that. You know, no one remembers that Ridley Scott directed that. Right. But, but yeah. people could tell you that he directed, you know, legend, you know, mm-hmm. or GI Jane, something like that. Oh, he directed Thelma and Louise. See, I didn't even remember that. Wow. I did not remember that at all. <laughs> Yep, Hannibal, Matchstick Men. Hannibal felt like him, I think, a little bit more. It does. Yeah, it's it's also not one of his... It's not. It's not one of his better <laughs> ones. Although, weirdly, my mom loves Hannibal. She thinks it's better than Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> I don't understand. What? I know. I don't, under- I don't understand. She just... Man, Thelma and Louise, I totally forgot about. I know we had to have mentioned it on, like, probably both times we've talked about Ridley Scott, and I still forgot... I forget that it's his film. It's just yeah. like, I mean, I'll never forget that Brett Ratner directed Red Dragon, but for some reason, I'll <laughs> I'll never remember that Ridley Scott directed Hannibal. Anyway, whatever. Um, what it's um. Do you think that Prometheus works as a film if it's not cold and distant? Because like the cold distance works for like like say like Shaw wanting answers you know like because she feels that there's a cold distance and she like needs to search the answers will like bring that kind of warmth and comfort that will never like really arrive yeah I think it's thematically in woven into a lot of his best films so yeah I don't think it works if if it's not like that right because he he Um, can direct warm I mean the Martian is a great example of a film that is not cold and distant and is only yeah. about personal human relationships and the importance of, you know, love and friendship and perseverance and things like that, but in a completely different way. I think if there's an element of mystery, it, it kind of has to be cold. Like, I think that it's the same way even in Blade Runner where, you know, the main character Deckard isn't sure if he's human or not, but he never actually, like, voices that really. Um especially in like the theatrical release version, he's sort of, you know, he's doing his job and and going through the motions, but throughout the film, he's starting to really wonder. And because there's sort of that distance and with him, I think that's why it's, I don't know. I think that's why it works because he's also asking these questions and he doesn't know the answers and we don't know them either, but I don't know. It's like, I think that's why that's the only role he's ever really done, or at least that I can think of uh, that Harrison Ford's ever done where he's that 
like unlikable <laughs> in that mm. distant, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it really works for that movie because the whole time you're trying to figure out like what's a dream and what's real and am I real? And there's definitely an element of that in this movie too. You know, they talk about dreams. I mean, he just really Scott just loves dreams and memories. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Yeah. I think that, that, that distance really helps in, in all his best work. Yeah, I agree. He really does love dreams and memories. <laughs> he does. Like, you know, and that's also like a, at least for Blade Runner, that's a very Philip K. Dick thing too. Mm-hmm. But, and and I think it's like a lot of my favorite sci-fi, like, I mean, you know, we just recorded a couple days ago, uh, The Matrix too. Um, a lot of these great sci-fi epics talk a lot about self and dreams and memories and identity and yeah, I don't know. I think maybe even though identity seems so personal, a lot of times it works better when there's a little bit of distance between you and the story. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm still grappling with that. I'm trying to think of other Ridley Scott films and I'm like Gladiator, Kingdom of Heaven. Um, they're all about dreams or they at least have them. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times, you know, a lot of directors that I really like are really consistent with like some of their messages, almost like they were just working on them over and over again. And I guess that can feel repetitive for some people, but it's it's what makes me like it more. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but that repetition from a director is not the worst thing because that that's right. that's their style. If you like like their style, I I want you to continue. Like you can, I like like nine times out of ten. Steven Spielberg is going to make a movie about fathers and sons. <laughs> yeah. You know, because that's 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 kind of his modus operandi from 1975 from even like Jaws up until mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan, no AI, really. It like every yeah. single one of his movies is in some ways about parenting. So, going back to the movie, do you have any more things you wanted to touch on? Um probably no, I think I think I'm I think I'm okay. I think what draws yeah, I yeah. think what draws me to this film more than anything like yeah, it doesn't exactly fit alien mythology or anything like that. But you know what? I really only care about the first one, and it fits the first one just fine, so it's okay. I agree. That's that's I that's so funny. I feel the same way. I mean, again, stressing again, I do like aliens, and that that we're actually going to do an episode on aliens oh, fairly nice, soon. So nice. so I do like it a lot. But yeah, I, I, I don't miss this not connecting to all the other ones because the first one was the strongest for me. Well, if that's the case, let's go to our last couple questions then. Uh, we've spent all this time really explaining why we like this movie so much, but uh, if you had to summarize it, like why do you think you keep coming back to this film? Why do you think you've seen it over and over? I think that it's a great example of kind of the movie is as good as the sum of its parts. And so it's not mm-hmm. just like, it's not just a good acting piece or a good production design piece or a good, you know, score or special effects or whatever it, all of it works together. And, and, and I think, and I think that's why I keep coming back to it because I am visually treated. I'm my, my ears are treated. My eyes are treated, you know, and it it not only hits all of what makes a good movie good, like it all comes together for me, but it's also, it also hits on my interests. Like, you know, this like ancient cultures and archeology span and science fiction and like horror and xenomorphs, you know, it's just, it's all. And honestly, Michael Fassbender, cause he's the best. 
And I have the biggest crush, man crush on Michael Fassbender. Because <laughs> he's just yeah. stupidly talented. He he really is. Yeah, I think, you know, pretty much the same answer for me, um, piggybacking on what you said. I it, It's on brand for me, like I mentioned earlier. I, I really like thrillers. I really like things that are psychological. And I like things that ask bigger questions. Why are we here? Where are we going? And I like that this movie makes us uncomfortable about some of them, but isn't definitive, like, you know, Shaw is deeply religious and then she finds out we were made by these engineers and that doesn't break her faith. I think that's interesting. But I also think it's interesting how disinterested the engineers are in us. And so what does that say? And I don't know, all that stuff is just, that's fun for me. I really like movies that explore that. So I keep watching it because I feel like there's, every time I watch it, there's a little bit more to discover than I saw the last time. And that seems to be a hallmark of movies that I like. Um, so my my next question is, what is your elevator pitch? How how do you get someone interested in seeing this film? Um, I've got thirty. <laughs> so what do I have? Thirty ten seconds in an elevator. All right. So, mm-hmm. um, if you're interested in science fiction that discuss or kind of philosophizes the meaning of existence, but then how wrong that can go so quickly, you should watch this movie. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Oh, that's better than than I could have come up with. I like that. Um, yeah, I you know for me, I'm gonna go basic <laughs> and just say that uh, I think that if you liked Alien uh, and you liked it because it explored some darker places and some more suspense and you know like it leaned more into those things, then this kind of builds on that. But if you were more into aliens it it might not be your cup of tea so it's like do you like his other films like Blade Runner you know movies like that I think this falls on brand with it but if not you know you might want to skip it no that's good that's good too not a super compelling argument but you know you know what I mean (laughs) but yeah I think it's compelling I think I'm compelling (laughs) enough I want to watch this movie again right now there you go well, um, Tim, thank you so much for coming on my show. I really do appreciate it. This was so fun. I was really looking forward to this episode. I'm glad you picked it. Um, and recap real quick, where, where can people find you? Well, thank you for thank you for having me. This was a blast, and I'd be more than more than happy to come back. Uh, people, uh, you can find me on Twitter at TimothyPG13, and you can check out all of um, Thought Bubble Audio shows at ThoughtBubbleAudio.com. Awesome. Will do. Yeah, you need to work on your next your next movie you're going to pick. Oh my goodness, There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so many, so little time. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> awesome. Well, have a good one. Oh, thank you. You too. 